Good morning, church. It is good to be together with God's people. We're going to be in Acts chapter number 6 today. Again, Acts chapter number 6. And as a reminder, you'll find Acts in the early part of the New Testament. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then after those four Gospels, Acts is the next book there. And while you're turning there, some of us are going to date ourselves here in just a moment as we play a quick round of Name That Tune, (laughs) except... It's not really a tune, all right? But listen, and listen to the sound. See if this is familiar to you. Some of you, those who are my age or older, know what's going on, and those who are younger in the crowd are going like, what is wrong? Where's the sound guy? Something's clearly broken in the sound system. What are those awful noises, right? Well, if you've been around long enough, you recognize this unique sound from the early days of the internet. I just came from the Trails campus, and I asked Jeff. He even recognized that sound, which was kind of surprising. I thought, you know, he was over there this morning. But anyway, these were the sweet tones of a computer modem connecting, a sound that meant your phone line had successfully been commandeered to connect your computer to the World Wide Web. Remember back in the day when you had to plug a phone line from the wall into the back of your computer, and man, you couldn't be on the phone and online at the same time, right? And so, man, if you had a teenager in the house, there was some ready-made tension in your home, right? Stephanie and I bought our first internet-connected computer somewhere in the late 1990s. It looked similar to this one that you see. Ooh, look at that. Windows 95 and everything, right? And um, I upgraded the modem on that puppy from a 28.8 to a 56K, smoking fast (laughs) modem, right? I mean, maximum transfer rate, 56 kilobits per second. By the way, as a comparison, Many homes today have gigabit internet speeds, which is 17,857 times faster than a 56K modem, all right? But but I remember those early days of the internet access. I was so excited when a trailer for the new Star Wars movie was available online, okay? Now, it was episode one, so it's the worst Star Wars movie, okay, in 1999, but but, but this was the first Star Wars movie in 16 years, and I was jazzed. I, I was so excited about it. And, and, and now you couldn't actually watch the trailer online, okay? Uh, limited bandwidth, a 56K modem, no way. Over the phone line could it have that kind of throughput, right, to, to watch streaming video online. That was still a distant dream, kids, okay? But in those early internet days, for the first time, I could download this two-minute and 31-second low-res video file to my computer and then watch it at my leisure. This was incredible. I did this the day that it came out, and no lie, it took about 14 hours to download two minutes and 31 seconds of low-res video. I remember telling Stephanie on a Friday night, I said, honey, I'm about to start this download. You can't use the phone, right, after this, okay? Because in those days, if you picked up the phone, well, it broke the internet connection, right? And, and it would mess up the download. And so, um, this was on a Friday night, and so we started it, and I, I remember so clearly Saturday morning, this was a landmark moment in my lifetime. 
When I got up Saturday morning, it was still downloading that, that file, okay? But, but eventually it finished, and now I could watch a Star Wars movie trailer on my computer screen. Like, this was incredible. Now, the same thing happens billions of times a day now, instantaneously, like it's nothing. Two and a half minutes of video is nothing. But man, almost 25 years ago, it took forever because there was limited bandwidth, on those old dial-up internet connections. Well, we've taken that phrase, limited bandwidth, and we've applied it to other areas of life. Like when we're overloaded, when you've just got too much on your plate, or more than you can say grace over, or when you're hustling to try to keep all the plates spinning, you know what I'm talking about? We have added another analogy to that list, and we say, I just have limited bandwidth. There's only so much I can do. And like that old 56K modem, I'm going to tell you, there's only so much that any of us can do. Well, as we return this morning to our study of the book of Acts, we're going to rejoin the narrative of the early church in Acts chapter number 6. And and we're going to find that even amidst the amazing, miraculous works of the Spirit of God in the early church, the apostles discovered their own limited bandwidth when it came to ministry. From this passage, there's also much for us to learn about our own limited bandwidth and what that means to our, to our own service for the Lord. Let's look in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Those were two different groups of Jews within the church because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That was distribution of food. Verse 2, and the 12, the 12 apostles, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples or the whole church together and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We'll we'll appoint them to take care of this issue with the widows and the food. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Well, there's something significant that the church all agreed on the same thing, right? Um, Pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7 says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, there's a lot for us to learn from this, and so we're just going to dig right in. And the first thing I want you to take note of in verses 1 and 2 is we see that the apostles, they um, recognized the need. They recognized the need before them. Now, and it's centered around this issue with widows within the congregation. Now, widows in that time, particularly, they were among the most vulnerable people in the entire culture. Unmarried, unable to work to support themselves, and for widows indeed, as it's sometimes termed, uh, did not have family support either. The widows of the church, they received special attention and care from the church body. Food and other necessities were distributed by the church to help serve the needs of these vulnerable widows. And by the way, let me just remind you that the, the, the people of God have always been called upon to, um, to care for society's most vulnerable. You go back even to Old Testament times, and it was the fatherless and the widows 
and immigrants into Israel who were afforded, who God told them to afford special care uh, to those folks to be afforded by the people of God. In our lifetimes, that net has horrifically expanded to include especially the unborn, quite literally the most vulnerable among us. And on this day, which is recognized as National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we reaffirm our commitment to care for and recognize the value of every human life, as Mark said earlier, from the womb to the tomb. Amen? And in this, po- in this post-Roe America, we must continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the most vulnerable in our society. Okay, we're going to come back to the text now. So, so widows, vulnerable. There was an issue surrounding them. And, and it talks about, let me explain, the, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Now, the Hellenists, these were Jews, but they were Greek-speaking Jews. They had um, adopted many of the customs of the Greeks or the Gentiles around them. They, um, they spoke Greek primarily. They dressed like, um, uh, like the Gentiles. They socialized with them. But then you had this other group of Jews that they were referred to as the Hebrews because they stuck to the, to the Hebrew language or Aramaic language, and they, they didn't speak Greek unless necessary, and they followed traditional Jewish customs and dress patterns, etc. And so here within the church, you've got these very diverse and oftentimes opposing uh, um, uh, cultures that are represented as a part of the church body. And so as you can imagine, there was a lot of room for some cultural tension between these groups. They didn't get along outside the church, and they had a hard time getting along even inside the church. Those who were Hellenists, they laid out a complaint, this accusation against the Hebrews, the traditional Hebrew members, and they claimed that the Hellenist widows in the church, they were being passed over when it came to food distribution in favor of the Hebrew widows. Now, you can't say that it was racism because they were both Jews, but they were certainly saying that, that there was some, something was disparaging there. It wasn't fair. And so whether it was legitimate or exaggeration, there was this ongoing complaint and a growing tension within the body of believers. Well, the apostles, they recognized they needed uh, to address this. They needed to nip it in the bud for the sake of maintaining the unity of the church. But they also knew that they didn't personally have the bandwidth to address that and, and deal with every individual matter or need. It's kind of like one commentator points out the apostles, man, they didn't even have access to Microsoft Excel to help organize things like food distribution, whatever. Of course, they needed some help. But, and so here they wisely recognized this was a problem that could be handled by other capable people within the congregation. And so they, they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. And I want to just give you a little bit of clarification. Don't read that as if they thought they were too high and mighty and important to serve tables, that menial task. It wasn't that, but rather, in fact, it would have been easier, if you think about it, it would have been easier for them to spend their time each day handing out food rather than doing the, the confrontational work of preaching the Word of God in a society and a culture that was opposed to them. It wasn't like serving tables was beneath them, but they realized they had to make a strategic decision for the sake of efficiency and effectiveness 
in ministry. They recognized their own limited bandwidth, and so they enlisted other capable servants to take on this ministry so that the apostles could focus on what they were called specifically to do. They said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, because that's what God had uniquely gifted and called them to do as leaders in the congregation. Let me tell you, there is a lesson for each of us here that we must each learn to say no sometimes, even to really good things. And that's hard. Let me tell you, it's hard for a pastor to stand up here and tell the congregation, sometimes you need to say no when we need volunteers, okay? That's really hard for me to say. But we've got to uh, focus on what God has specifically called each of us to do as we serve in ministry. It's not easy to say no, especially if you're someone who's just naturally wired as a pleaser. It's even harder to say no, but it's important sometimes. We've got to understand what God has called each of us individually to do, where we're called to serve and follow the leadership of the Spirit in that. Well, the apostles determined that the church needed to select individuals who would oversee this ministry to widows because they didn't have the bandwidth to do it themselves. You know, some they said, let's find some qualified folks we can hand this off to, folks who will oversee it, manage it, and keep things equitable. Frankly, folks in the congregation that could do this better than we can anyway. And so as best we understand it, this is where the church first selected deacons to serve the needs of the body of Christ. And this is the foundation for why deacons here at First Hurst are servants who, among other things, serve the widows of our congregation. I am grateful to know that a great many widows have indeed been blessed and well cared for over the years by the deacons of this church. Thank you, deacons, for your ministry and your service to our widows. The word deacon, by the way, it comes from the Greek word diakonos, as you'll see on screen, which means servant. Okay, now we find the verb form of diakonos here in verse number two, where it talks about serving tables. But understand this, that a deacon is, by definition, a servant. Okay, and while we don't all carry the title of deacon here at First Hurst, we are all called to be deacons, to be servants in the Lord's church. We're all called to share the load in the great work of ministry. So let me ask you this, and, and contemplate on this. Where are you serving in the body of Christ? How are you helping to see the work of the gospel go forward? And while you're contemplating that, let me remind you that Moses had a similar experience to the apostles. In in Exodus chapter number 18, we read of how Moses was just overwhelmed with the daily administrative responsibilities of leading the people of Israel, and especially when it came to um, judging between the disputes that naturally arose in that large group of people. Well, his father-in-law, Jethro, comes on the scene one day, and he kind of shadows Moses, and, and he comes to him. At the end, he says, Moses, what you're doing is not good. Like he was doing a good thing, but he said, what you're doing is not, you're not doing it in a good way right? You need to share the load with other capable leaders among the people because you just can't do it all yourself. Jethro helped Moses understand that even he had limited bandwidth. It's a hard lesson to learn for a lot of people. It was a hard lesson for me to learn. When Stephanie, Stephanie and I got married, we were, we were young, and uh, at the time I was working full-time on the night shift, 
okay? I hate the night shift. Hate work. God did not create me to be awake at night, okay? That's just the way it is. I struggled when the night shift, but I had to work the night shift because while I was working full-time at night, I was also a full-time student by day, all right, in college class. And so it, my, my time was, was short, and I was a volunteer youth leader in a small church on the weekends. All along the way, I was a young newlywed trying to figure out this whole adulting thing, you know, and, and, and to how to be a husband. I rarely saw Stephanie, and when I did, I was struggling to keep my eyes open, all right? I, I was just tired all the time. I was spread way too thin. So naturally, one semester, I decided, well, I'm going to take an afternoon job in addition to all that other stuff, all right? That was the fix. No, but I thought, you know what? I'm young. I can handle that. I'm invincible. I mean, we need the money, and sleep is for wimps anyway, right? I'm going to tell you, I very quickly learned I just couldn't do it all. That's about the time that I began, my, my health declined. I began to get very sick quite often. And honestly, I became ineffective at everything I was trying to do. I wasn't performing well at work. I was making a lot of errors. I was struggling to even stay awake on the job. Education was suffering. I had no energy, no innovation for student ministry. I was failing as a husband, not even present with my young wife. And I, I learned the hard way very young that like everyone, I have limited bandwidth. We all need to recognize our own limitations. We have limited bandwidth. Yet we must all be willing to serve, and there's a place for each of us to serve. But we have to also realize none of us can do it all. Rather, it takes all of us, each serving as the Spirit of God leads and sharing the load of ministry. Okay, that's the foundational uh, need that the, that the apostles recognized. Notice secondly, verses 3 and 4, they identified the requirements. They laid out some spiritual parameters for those whom the church would select to serve and lead in this ministry to widows. They said, we need some guys who are um, of good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. And I'm going to tell you, that's a pretty good goal chart for every follower of Christ right? We should all be of good repute because we're living lives of holiness and righteousness because um, we're, we're uh, above reproach with a respected testimony and reputation for doing right. We should all be full of the Spirit, that is, fully surrendered and yielded to the Spirit of God and, and walking in step with Him. We should all be full of wisdom because we're living according to the Word of God and rightly dividing the Word of truth. Okay? That's good for every servant in the body of Christ. But as we think of particular places of service within church ministries, well, of course, there are some specific requirements for various service opportunities. I mean, here at First Church, in each ministry area that we have here, whether that's preschool or elementary uh, kids or students or young adults or median adults, mature adults, missions, outreach, administration, worship and creative arts, whatever it is, we, um, uh, we realize that there are needs. It takes more than our staff to successfully minister to our community. It requires volunteer. It takes you actively serving the members of First Baptist Hearst. But we have to be wise and identify some requirements for those who would serve in those various positions. Let's face it, not everyone is cut out, gifted, and called, and qualified to serve in a preschool classroom. And so we're going to screen those who would seek to volunteer. We're going to make sure we're putting the right people in the right seat on the bus because we're going to do all we can to protect our kids. Amen? Amen. But we're going to help people find 
an area that fits them because there's a place of service for everyone who's repented of sin and trusted in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, we believe the gospel and we believe that Jesus transforms lives like he's transformed my life. And so we believe that those who are washed in the blood of the lamb are each called to be part of the body of Christ as we serve together for his glory. And in this year of 2023, as you know, we're stressing that there is a place for everyone to serve by simply having gospel conversations and especially doing so outside the walls of this building. In fact, later in the service, we're going to make those commitments like those in the first service did and laid their cards down here. We're going to commit to be uh, having gospel conversations, to be engaged in introducing people to Jesus and applying God's word to life. I'm going to tell you, if you're saved and you're still breathing, you can serve by having gospel conversations. And in addition to that, we'd love to help you figure out where the best place for you to serve is in the church ministries. Well, we see in verses 5 and 6 then, and we'll move quickly now, that they enlisted the qualified. This is what we understand to be the first time deacons were selected to serve in the church. They identified seven men who, um, who met the requirements and brought them before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them, mirroring what we now today refer to as ordination, although that term itself does not appear in Scripture. Um, and, and it's interesting when that happens. In verse number five, again, we see that list of names. It was, excuse me, it was um, uh, Stephen and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Okay, and I find this interesting because only two of these names are we even vaguely familiar with. Philip, uh, or Stephen rather, who, um, whose menace, brief ministry and martyrdom will be the feature of next Sunday's message. And then Philip, we learn a little bit about toward the end of chapter number eight in Acts. But the rest of these five guys, this is the only time they're ever mentioned in scripture. We don't know anything about them. They're the first deacons in the church and we don't even know anything about them. But you know, they weren't selected to serve because of their great notoriety. And they didn't agree to serve because they were looking to make a name for themselves. Rather, they were very much like many, many of this church's forebears. See, First Hearst has a history dating back all the way to the late 1800s. Yes, 1800s. This church, this fellowship of believers has been built on the backs of untold numbers of faithful servants of Christ, and the names of most of them are now long forgotten to time. But even in recent generations, we could go back several decades, and a quick list of just some of God's most faithful servants here at First Hearst would include names like Tom Gilmore, or C.A. Sanford, Wayne and Barbara Killo. Pat Black, Bud and Lou Dodson, John and Mary Stanley, Milt Durham, Russ Ostrike, Harold and Mary Kimber, Bob Wells, Susie Matthews, Larry and Alice Capaletti, Oida Bassett, Bob and Fran Martin, Dave Moon, Bub Down, Rose Jacobson, Dick and Dorothy Clevenger, Roy Nowak, Scotty Hurt, Charles and Marilyn Schroeder, Marilyn Brescia, V.E. Burnett, Mary Lou Wentworth, Richard Jones, Bill and Dodie Souter, Charlie Mapes, Bob Haley, Elo Noavitsa, and very recently Tom uh, Glenn. And there are multiplied others, names that I failed to include on this list or names that I don't even know. I'm going to be honest, there's some names on that list that I don't even know. 
Some of you perhaps know many of those folks. You served alongside them. You were maybe at their memorial service. But to many, I dare say even most of you, those names are just names. You don't have a face that comes to mind when you hear those names. You didn't know them. You didn't walk or serve or do life with them. But I'm going to tell you, you have been blessed by their ministries. You and your family today benefit from the faithful service of these who've gone before you here at First Hurst and many, many others like them. These who served, who recognized they had limited bandwidth, but they served where they could as the Spirit of God led them. And though their names may soon be forgotten to newer generations, still their legacy of devoted service to their Savior, it lives on in a church that is still guiding all generations to know and follow Christ. You see, we didn't name any buildings after those folks because just like the men named there in verse number five, they didn't serve because they wanted to be remembered. They served because they loved their Savior. They served because they loved the gospel. They served because they loved people. They served so that future generations could know the redeeming love of Christ. They served so that others like you and me would remember just one name, the name of Jesus. And so much like them, we seek to enlist the qualified, those who were gifted for ministry, whether that's in children's ministry or helping with administrative things. We want to help you get plugged into a place of service in ministry within the church and ministry outside these walls so that generations that will come after us can likewise know the redeeming love of Christ. And so let me encourage you to visit with one of our ministers about how you can get involved and serve. Finally this morning, and quickly in closing, let me say in verse 7, we see that the church also celebrated the outcome. They celebrated the outcome. The pattern that's shown here in verse 7 is that when the church, when the people of God serve together, recognizing our limited bandwidth, and yet each serving as the Spirit of God leads, so that we're all focusing on the specific ministry the Lord has entrusted to us when we'll do that, when it's all hands on deck serving, that's when the Word of God will continue to increase, and the number of disciples will multiply greatly. And then it says, and many priests will come to faith. That sounds a little strange, doesn't it? I mean, it, it feels a little bit like a random add-on at the end of verse 7. But let me tell you, it's, it's not that at all. It's rather significant, in fact, because it speaks to the great power of the gospel that even the coldest hearts of the Jewish priests in that time, those who were most sternly opposed to Jesus and his message of salvation, even those cold hearts were softening to the hope of the gospel. And so as the church continued to have gospel conversations, as the work of ministry was shared among the members of the church, even those coldest hearts in the community were softened to the hope and became receptive to Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, it can be the same still today. God help us. May it be so for us today. Amen? We each have limited bandwidth, but together we can have gospel conversations and we can each serve as the Spirit of God leads us so that we see our world turned upside down for the glory of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father.
that you call us to serve and honor you. It is a rich, rich privilege, but I just confess that I have that within me that resists. Sometimes I don't want to serve. I want to be selfish. I want to be all about me. But Father, I thank you that by your Spirit you empower us and you call us to give of ourselves, to help serve so that others, like all those names we read off and thousands of others over the course of history, have invested in the lives of other people and served in classrooms and they've served on mission trips and they've served in, uh, in a ministry of helps and greeting and, and a, a thousand other things. They serve so that people like me could come under the sound of the gospel so that others in the community and in future generations could know the hope of Christ. God, would you help us to be all hands on deck to be a people of God who are faithful and committed to gospel conversations in our community and in our families and in our friend groups and in our workplaces and that we'll be a people who are committed to serve as the Spirit of God leads us. We'll know when to say no and know when to say yes. That's where I'm going to pour myself out for the sake of Christ. God, help us. Speak to us even now as we respond in faith to your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.